Welcome back to the Turn Row Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Ethan, and with me, as always, is Kevin. How's it going, everybody? And we have two returning guests, uh, Rob and Jason. Fearless leaders, if you will. <laughs> yeah. I guess Jason and I didn't do a crappy enough job last time we were on. We thought maybe no. that last podcast, but... You uh, did yeah. such a good job that we thought, you know, we can make another one. They came but, back for, for more of a beating. Yeah, if you did bad, we would never ask you again, which now you know the secret, so this is going to be terrible. Watch the reviews go down the dumpster. Yeah. COVID-19's hit. Uh, okay, so I guess what we're, we're going to do today is kind of a part two of the follow-up on Grower Focus with Randy Dowding. Um, so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll start with uh, grid sampling and um, kind of what was talked about at that meeting and then what we do um, that's similar and that kind of stuff. So, Kevin, why don't you kick it off with the, uh, some of the, the grid sampling that was talked about at uh, Grower Focus. Yeah, so um, it's the Grower Focus, one of the key fertility things that was brought up was doing grid sampling and even more specifically um, on uh, one acre grids. And uh, he was promoting one acre grids to get detail um, in order to, you know, really key in on specific areas and spots um, in the field to, to push for that high, high top end yield. Um, you know, I guess I'll just throw throw this off the bow, but you know, at CropQuest we we really haven't done that because um, the two and a half acre grid seemed to make more sense on a management level uh, because a lot of our equipment can't. Well, now it can with some. If you have the right um, technology in the cab, it can change row by row. But typically, you know, you've got a half a swath or you know, you, you got 60 feet, you got 120 feet at a time, and we can't, can't really change quick enough in some, in some areas to, to make that work. Um, it comes back to that return on investment for, the, for our, our time and the grower's expenses as far as, you know, can, can we get a return on investment for that one-acre grid over a large area? Because your costs are going to... I mean, going from two and a half to one, they're going to at least double. At least. You know, so. Well, and, you know, the lab fees really eat eat us up. You know, we don't own our own lab. We have to send them off to a lab. Um, and that was one thing that was we, we did get out of Randy is that he does have his own lab. So that the lab costs are, is where he's making up the difference where we can't. And, it, and it, I think it's very close to his farm too, which, um, like within 10 miles or so. So I'm sure that, you know, like with me, I, you know, I'm mailing stuff from South Texas to McCook, Nebraska. So if I'm going to mail in a pickup load of soil, you know, it's like $13 a box. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, it, well, yeah. So we don't have a lot of, uh, research on you know personally whether one acre or two and a half there's a benefit but I guess we have a, a filament that has done some one acres that we'll be able to compare won't we um, Jared 
any day. Yeah, I think we've, we've got at least, um, let's say, a handful of fields this last year that, that they did uh, on, on one-acre grid. So we'll definitely get a test to see, um, what, you know, what the data looks like. Um, I don't know. So we'll yeah, so a lot of it comes comes back to what what can you fix and what can you correct from that information. If you have a a pH issue, um, that's paid for grid samples for years. You know, especially our standard two and a half acre grid, it comes really quick to pay back on a grid sample. Um, that sure. winding cost on that side of things, and that's where Jared's going after things aggressively on some fields this year. Is trying to figure out, you know, the payback one acre grid versus two and a half acre grid. Do you know if you had two and a half acre grids on those fields before done this one acre, just to compare? Does anybody know? I don't know. I would imagine not, but I don't know for a fact. Yeah. Nathan and I did some years ago. It it still it was it was hard to pay back on the one acre grid field after field, but if you had a pH issue, it was uh, a no-brainer to at least do the two-and-a-half-acre grid. You know, we have the rest of the uh, results. I guess it, it would depend on the area you're in, too, because, um, you know, where we were in south uh, east Oklahoma for a bit, uh, those soils might have warranted that, I guess, because it changed so so frequent but out here in western kansas and a lot of other areas i i don't know it may not you know we don't see that much change in soil types and all that yeah i, th I think that's what you got to take home too is what is your problem if it's a ph problem then maybe you could bump up on a problem field to one acre grids or bump down up, up, up. but um maybe it's a p or k issue something if you're just trying to to really hyper tune in your fertility program then maybe two and a half is where you can it can pay for itself you know where one one acre grid is not going to be the the uh have a, a good payoff you know jason and rob do you remember where the two and a half acre grid came from i know i'm putting you on the spot but do you like do you you remember the the thought and idea behind that when it was made a while ago I think it was just through research, through uh, extent, you know, through the uh, just through research and trial and error, that two and a half acre grid was kind of the optimal. I think you had fives, you had twos, we had tens over the years, and I think it just uh, just the uh, standard in the industry. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but I think it just out of trial and error, two and a half was kind of the optimal optimal uh, bang for your buck. Yeah, just doing the math where it would most often pay. And, you know, we're, we've been talking about how, how far spread out in the field to take samples. Uh, how often you take the samples is, is the next piece. How often do <laughs> you repeat? For sure. Sampling. Yeah. For sure. You know, um, it, it crop costs, we do a lot of, um, a lot of EC or EM work and I don't know, see what your guys' opinion are, but in my mind, if you're, if we're already classifying the soil by groups, you know, I think it, 
instead of going to a one acre grid, um, it may be more cost effective just to drop points within your soil types or, or your different zones and then really hone in that way rather than, you know, trying to go the one acre route. Cause then you, you at least could be more specific with your sampling um, on, on where you're at in your soil types. And then you're efficient with your uh, time and labor side of things also, where you've already classified which area goes there. You're not sampling every acre every year. For sure. Well, and it's not this huge expense every five years or three years or whatever interval you're on the, on the grid. Yeah. Cuts down lab costs, shipping costs, yeah. labor costs, big time. Yeah. Kind of a hybrid system like that. For sure. For yeah. sure. So, um, well, do we want to take that into tissue sampling a bit? Yeah. Yeah. So another point he mentioned was tissue sampling and, um, I've dabbled with that some in the past. Um, the, the, what I've always struggled with is I, it takes me so long to get that a turnaround from the time I pull a sample to when I get data, just there's no labs near me. And then how accurate is the data? Um, what are not, not necessarily the accuracy from the lab, but what is the, the data telling me, you know, what is, is it just an arbitrary number? Um, is it, uh, it just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of research that's been done to tell me that, um, this particular crop needs this particular level. So, well, and uh, if, if you remember one of the key points we made was, like if, if, if you send one to the lab, you get a sufficiency deficient kind of report, um, you know, <laughs> red or green, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but we did get it out of him. The, he did a bunch of research, pulled like the specific numbers together and has a database in which that tells him all that stuff. But um, current, you know, if you want that kind of, level of information through him you have to be in that next level program yeah you know first and foremost i think you need a solid soil sample whether it's gridding or where have you done composites uh, soil history you know i've got some fields i've looked at for 35 years i can i can see the soil history and the trend well, you, you, you did see the whole soil history it was lava. <laughs> the top soil, <laughs> but if you know that your soul, you know your soul history and your health, and, and you don't know, and especially if you pull it complete, and and you don't have any compaction, and your corn looks good and it's growing fine, and he pulls tissue samples, and it tells you you might be deficient this week in magnesium or whatever it is. I, I think a guy just needs to make sure you take it and and evaluate and and look at the crop, and if it looks good. I don't know if I typically would just say, hey, this week we need to put this on, and then the next week you pull it. Oh, well, it's deficient in this this next week. Well, that to me is very confusing. So well, I use it as a rule, but I sure don't do them as gospel. That's my take on it. A disclaimer, though, for you know the listeners is the every crop has a nutrient curve, a nutrient uptake curve, and at every point – the plant can need so much or can need X amount, but it can't get it. It can't physically pull it out of the soil. So you're always going to be deficient in something depending on 
where you're at in that curve and that growth stage. And um, I, I know that we, we, we had a guy a couple years ago that did one every week in, in some cornfields and essentially that's what he thought he was seeing was he was just seeing the, the deficient areas when the crop was at that point on the curve. Now, another caveat to that is this particular farm has a history of manure, you know, so we're not going to find. Yeah. Your, your PK and your micro. Yeah. We're, we're not going to find a whole lot of deficiency when we're, you know, putting 20 ton of manure out and, that may it may be different if if you're using commercial fertilizer or so what you're saying is this this gentleman's uh fertility program's crap thank you thank you i've I've had that same thing i've had i've got some history where we manure about every three to five years and you know put 20 ton on very good soil good silt loams and and we were doing tissue samples on it and even with that high fertility i mean the the soil tests were or above average on everything way above especially on FOSS but you know and and potash and it was telling us we were deficient you know one week it might be potash and and, and magnesium or the manganese and it just you know it's hard to say where do you go from there do you go fly on a foliar feed if you see it you know th those are the ones that are tough questions to hammer out unless you physically know you got a problem and your crop is not growing properly but you know I, I know there's pros and cons to tissue samples. So well, yeah, I, I guess some of the take on what we're trying to say is too, is, um, there's, in my opinion, there's not a terrible amount of research coming from the universities on this. Um, that's really current. Uh, and I may be wrong on that, but if you have a real solid fertility program and you're seeing deficiencies in corn that looks healthy, don't panic. It's probably a nutrient uptake cycle. Like with cotton, uh, during bowl fill, P and K, it, it looked like Kevin was saying, it will pull up more than it can physically take. And you will see a crop response. You will see P and K deficiencies on the leaf. And then when it's done with that life cycle, it catches back up because it's, there's plenty in the soil. It, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, it's too big of a sink uh, for the plant to keep up. So the plant needs a pipe, <laughs> twelve inch pipe to suck it all through. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's using a, a half inch. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what it's doing. You know, we're pushing some of these cotton yields literally to the point that the plant can't do anymore. Yeah, and, you know, and if I was to pull a tissue sample on that, it, all it would do was would induce panic in the grower, and he would spend a bunch of money that's not needed when we're just limited by the genetics of the cotton plant and that's not a variety trait well, well maybe it's some to some extent but that's just cotton i mean we're we're i remember in college they were telling us you know that uh six bales was the genetic difference you know the genetic cap of cotton that ain't true you know it, it'll go more than that so um we're pushing these varieties much further than than we thought they ever could be pushed. So um, I think research has some catching up to do to give us good solid data that we can take to a grower and in season uh, adjust in season fertility via either foliar, chemigation, you know, side dressing, what, what have you. Well, I think you use them as a report card and I've got a grower that went to Randy Dowdy and we're, 
we're done. He is doing some different things. We talked about it, but we have some circles split in half with numerous uh, test strips through with different rates of zinc and and uh, these these soils are high in potash anyway. But we've got a number of stuff to play around. They're playing around a little bit with the base saturation. And I'm gonna pull the tissue samples on both halves once I get started and continue to do that. And I wanna I wanna see if there's a difference between the half that we didn't put like five pounds of zinc and all the all the I mean high dollar spread. I I don't even know what all they put in it. I, I think they told me they'd have to kill me. So are you gonna do that those once a week? But anyway, I'm I'm gonna see what I come up with and, and if these tissue samples are worth their salt, it ought to show something between the two halves that are different. I, I don't know. Are you gonna are you gonna tissue sample once a week? Uh, I think we agreed to do every other week. I, yeah, I I don't think I'm gonna do every week. Yeah, well, it's a lot of work. And I, what do you typically start, Ethan, on a, on a let's say a corn plant? When you typically start, there you are. I have never tissue sampled corn. Only cotton and potatoes. Cotton, okay. Cotton and potatoes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, potatoes is what we probably have done more because potatoes, especially crop. And whatever we find, typically, yeah, they would probably do something. Well, and potatoes are a different beast. You're monitoring when the nitrate is going to go from the plant and shoot to the tuber. So, yeah, you kind of, and that, and potatoes, I can see why folks do it. It's, you're monitoring, you're not monitoring for your fertility, you're monitoring for, uh, uh, not tuber size, but um, well, and as any anybody that's worked with produce people, that's top secret too. So most of us consultants were the gophers. We go for this and go for that. Yeah. So we might do the tissue samples, but we don't know what they're actually doing. And you agree with that, wouldn't you, Ethan? Oh yes. We, don't know what we, they're doing. They don't we, want everybody else no. to know. So that's a totally yeah. different yeah. topic. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you're a consultant in the produce uh, industry, you're kind of a mushroom. You know how the saying goes: you're fed ex excrement and uh, kept in the dark. So, you know, <laughs> the, the, so um, yeah. I mean, you, you are kind of a a mall cop, so to speak. You observe and report. Then you know, and if there's issues, they handle them themselves and how they want to. And um, and that go. That's not just potatoes. It's cabbage, squash whatever um cucumbers it's 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 interesting when you start dabbling in that uh your second eyeball form it's yeah, interesting sure. Sure. Yeah. making sure something doesn't come in but you, you, you feel like you're not doing a good job you're doing exactly what they want you to you know <laughs> like that's that's your job you're good so um but anyway i guess back to the tissue sampling with corn uh where are you starting to do that rob well, I don't think there's a lot of reason to start probably for, I'm guessing probably I would start around eight leaf or so. Cause you know, three, four, five leaf, your roots are still developing. So you, you need to at least get, you know, get up a little higher in your growth stages. And then depending on how intensive they want to be, but yeah, you probably start getting pretty intensive from eight, nine, 10 leaf. And then you're going to get, you know, you want to make sure if you're doing it, you want to have everything in, in place before you know, before tasseling and, you know, a lot of times your ears forming, what it's, we've had that conversation before too. Three to five, three yep. to eight, three to yep. eight. Yeah. And then that's, but most people, and that was a conversation that Randy Dowdy that could go down another path. Mm -hmm. He asked that question, 
Yeah. What was that? And a lot of us were at that what, five, we, to five, five to seven to eight leaf. Well, yeah. And the ear, you know, the ear leaf was coming out, you know, around that eight, nine leaf anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think there was a lot of research that that ear is being formed pretty small. So there's, there's, yeah, he had a different take on that. I don't know if I can completely remember. Somebody else could refresh my memory. No, no, you're, well, in fact, if you remember, he talked about how he went back to the university or he went to some universities, I believe. And asked them. And, and, yeah. But mainly he went to the seed companies, the seed companies that he was getting his seed from and flat out asked their um, geneticists or, you know, their, their, their researchers, okay, so when are we determining your size? Um, that that's what I remember anyway. Yep. Yeah. And, and it didn't sound like there was a straight answer. There was not. Different people. There was not. Well, the the thing that we're <laughs> we're trying to do is is harness Mother Nature, whether it's a corn <laughs> crop or soil. So yeah. Like, as much as the exact science we want it to be, like it's there's going to be curveballs at every every stage, but. I want to shift a little bit. This isn't this is tissue sampling, but it's not something I heard from Randy Dowdy. Um, I know a couple of years ago it was really popular to pull stock tests for nitrate, um, like right. I mean, like after black layer, right around black layer. Do you remember that, Kevin? Yeah, I do. Um, I don't remember why we were doing it. It was something to do with standability or residual nitrogen or something. Did you have much? I, I clearly didn't have. No, we've ever tried to do that is for, you know, like cow purposes. Um, oh, for residual nitrate. Yeah. For it. like, for instance, what was it, Rob, in 13, when we were so dry and the corn was flashing, we were pulling stock samples to see if it was suitable for feed. Yeah. Well, you, anytime you stress and shorten up that plant and it's not growing properly, especially if it's grain sorghum. Yeah, you can, and, and corn too. And, and, and we were doing corn stalks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, uh, you definitely can accumulate your nitrogen and it can be a big problem for cattle. So, yeah, I, I remember that year. Yeah. That stresses. Was, was, yeah. You look and you see your internodes are supposed to be whatever, you know, two, three, four, you know, up to five inches apart, man. Some of those, your leaves are stacked and it's stressed. It's, it's going to have some issues, especially yeah. if you dumped a lot of nitrogen. You know, some of these fields get 230 pounds of input on and your corn's stressed and dying from drought stress, which is real problems out in the high plains. You can get some nitrates. Yeah. But when we were doing this a couple of years ago, it wasn't for feed purposes. Hmm. I, don't, uh, I guess I don't remember that. I don't know. It was kind uh, of a, a fad that kind of was, went I, Ethan, I think it was more of a nutrient efficiency, checking out how efficient you were with your nitrogen applications and if you were putting on enough or not yeah i think i think that's what it was because there was if um it was some some correlation to lack of nitrogen and some standability if you start robbing nutrients from that stock i think that's what we were trying to gauge how close we were our nitrogen levels were to what the plant needed is what we were after because you didn't want it to be too much then you just waste the fertilizer right you know? so but Anyway, well, if your nutrient levels are, are too low for what your yields are, you are going to have stock issues no matter yeah. which nutrient it is. Exactly. And as that grain is being filled, it's going to start just mining the, the rest of that material. 
not just the Leafs, you know. Um, okay. Uh, well, I guess I guess maybe we should wrap up the tissue sampling deal. Yeah. You know. Uh, do you have one, any one, thoughts on that? Yeah, one comment I have is, you know, whether you agree with the tissue sampling philosophy, it, it's a, in my mind, a snapshot in time. And it's mainly a snapshot from where you've been. And I guess one thing I do agree with, Randy, if, if you have the ability to create this database and, and you know where where all your points are and, and you, you, you have this database you can look back at, then, then you can further look into the future if you want for the next year. But, but when you, <laughs> but to do that, it, it's going to take some time before you can see into the future on, on, on managing based on a tissue level level at that point in time, I guess if, would you agree with that, Rob? Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree too. And, you know, and, and some people are aggressive, you know, and I don't want to say, Hey, you just start eight leaf on corn because a lot of people will start, you know, take, you know, if it's under a foot tall, you take most of the plant, I believe. And, and some people want to know if you're on really sandy conditions yeah. or something, they may start it, you know, five leaf or three to five leaf and, you know, submit the entire plant. But then you have to get, you know, follow protocol a little bit as you get bigger corn plants and mm -hmm. on the sampling procedure. But yeah, yeah, that's about all I got on it. I mean, I'm not saying I'm pro or con. I, I just use them as maybe just a little bit of a report card. That'd be my take. And I think I would agree with that is, you know, my hang up is, is there's not a ton of accurate university research. And I think as that fills in and we know more what's going on, this will be a more viable tool to give a more exact science. It's not quite exact science yet. Well, it's even less exact on the labs side of it. Cause if I understand it right, you know, your sufficiency deficiency levels are based on the flow that current year, you know, or, or that time frame. Exactly. So, well, we have one more topic we're going to touch on, and that is uh, variable population, or is that what you would call it, Kevin? Um, yes. yes. So, variable, uh, variable populations through a field and how uh, Randy's uh, philosophy is a little, a little different. It's interesting. It makes sense for his environment, but uh, what is what we typically do. So, um, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, but... Um, he talks a little bit about um, sunlight uh, being a, a variable, so which is Israel. Uh, in where his location, it's very cloudy, very moist. Uh, you get a lot of of uh, rain showers move over. So he has different. Uh, that is his limiting factor that he is uh, trying to uh, mitigate by different uh, populations. So. Um, I don't know, can you elaborate on that a little more, Kevin? Yeah, you know, he was virtually varying population based on what he thought sunlight was going to be. Um, and like you said, in his area, it probably works. But in my, in my line of thinking, the way that he did, was doing it was not necessarily following contour like of tree lines or anything like that. But in my opinion, he was managing risk. He was picking three or four populations that he thought – fit a sunlight range that he wanted and went for it. Um, and, and, and that's probably works and that's fine where he's at, but um, I imagine as, as we move forward here, that that's definitely not the direction that, that we go. Is yeah. If you're in Arizona, 
you're going to have lots of sun and not many clouds. Yeah. And Southwest Kansas is pretty close to Arizona. So, <laughs> it's, it's, it's closer to Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> Amarillo, Texas, all the way up to Nebraska Panhandle. It's the Desert. Somewhere between Egypt and, yeah, Saudi Arabia. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So you're not, you know, you, you're going to do variable populations for a different reason. You're not going to have to, you know, so we're not saying that he is wrong where he is at. It makes sense. It works. It's, it, it is a viable thing, but you don't, you have ample sunlight in the Middle East or the middle Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. High plains. There you go. Yeah. Um, well, you know, hard. I think he's probably taking his historical average or there, he does a lot of weather, you know, forecasting. Hey, this, you know, this summer's going to be cloudy. You know, I always have a hard time. You know, we 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 see a lot of weather predictions on what the winter's going to be like in twenty twenty one, and that'd be tough to. I've always hate to rely on a weatherman to because it's an exact science, Rob. Weather is an exact science. They're That's, never wrong. They're especially after it's already happened. Yeah, <laughs> it's a whole other debate. Ethan. That's a whole other debate. Open the can of worms. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the old uh, the joke that we had at at scout camp. We always had a weather rock. That was how we told weather since we're away from society. We had a sign that says, you know, if rock is wet, raining. If it is, if it is spinning in a circle, we have a tornado. If, if rock is gone, wind is bad. So, you know, and uh, it's it's a little more accurate than sometimes the uh, the the scientists that we listen to. So. Uh. I can say I can say my my basis would be the eastern Kansas uh, bias where the soils are extremely variable at times, and and seeding rates um, go off of um, yield yield potential areas, you know, or a lot of and a lot of that can be based off of soil textures um, or soil types and yield histories, something that. You know, if you don't have an easy soil history, you can go run our, our EC units across the field and you can figure out the where the soils change and easily come up with a, an area where to where to start changing your populations. Well, in your part of the world, it's more so water related. Can the water get off the field quick enough? I mean, it's it's backwards from Western Kansas where we're, fighting the dry issue and you're <laughs> you're fine fighting a completely different animal well but even even with that side some of it's a silt loam some of it's a tight clay hill some of it's gumbo junk um you get into either of those you you may the the ec numbers that i choose to be higher in eastern kansas might be different than the numbers you're choosing in western kansas for sure for sure. But you're still able to vary it off of the same information. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting. I know um, a couple years, well, when we were in that dry spell a couple years ago, I had some limited water stuff that we varied the population and we're talking from eight to 12,000 and um, we didn't have enough water in the sprinkler whole section sprinkler and uh it it made corn where it shouldn't just simply by varying population it was pretty pretty neat to see that um 
and, and need to see the benefits of that. But when it turns dry, it, it matters tremendously. Those areas that don't have, can't hold enough water to make sure your population is not too high. Yeah, and you know, I mentioned that he's managed, like he being Randy Dowdy is uh, managing risk and, and we're doing the same thing. It's just in a different realm. We're not managing based off of sunlight. We're managing it based off productivity of the soil or, um, you know, in, in Western Kansas, more about sand and dry areas or compacted areas, versus, um, you know, low areas or, or tighter areas in your part of the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I would say most people are doing some version of that right now. Would you agree? They're doing more some more. There's, some there's a lot more capabilities to do it. Um, anybody that's updated a planner in a recent period of time has the ability to change the rates without a lot of effort. There's definitely more adaptation for um, people doing verberate population than, you know, uh, verberate fertilizer or some of the other stuff. Is there, is there, do you see Jason, Kevin, you see more people putting two different varieties and, and doing that? Or is that a trend that still is not there, that concept not catching hold? I, I do the, I've done several of the populations, but I know there's some agronomists that will put different variety in different spots. The multi-hybrid planters, what you're referring to, Rob? Yeah, is that, is that catching on or, or not? I, I, I'll answer first, Jason, I guess, steal your thunder. Maybe, I don't know. I, I have an issue with that from a harvestability point of things, because if, if you vary maturities too much and you have wet corn and dry corn, then yeah, what do yeah. you do? I agree and then, with that. And then number two, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we have enough. Yes. We know that certain hybrids respond better on certain soil types, but I think the cost of, of doing that, I don't know if it justifies it personally. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I have a, go ahead, Kevin. You know, out here, we're in the same area, Rob, but do you, I mean, some of the, you have to be care, careful with trade packages as well. Some of the stuff that handles all the, the, the drought and stuff works very well, but maybe doesn't have all the traits below ground that we need for rootworm. Yeah, yeah, especially ground continuous corn. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I tend to agree. I just was curious if that if you've seen that as precision as you're working with some of our agronomists, if that was a, a trend that you were seeing. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jason. We probably only have one doing it. There's one that I know is doing it hard and heavy, and then I'm not sure if there's others or not. I haven't dug into it, but not not much. Most of it would be variable rate seeding because – uh, with that, you know, maturity, variable maturity during harvest is bad enough when you have areas that are that grow better than others anyway. You mm-hmm. change the the length of the variety, then um, you have an even harder problem harvesting. Yeah, that's something that's not talked about a lot with with variable rate seeding. I know it's a bigger deal with cotton. Um, I don't, I didn't, I don't know how big of a deal it is with corn, but you can change that, that dry down period, uh, or just the relative maturity in general with population. 
Have you guys seen, have any of you guys seen a, a, a multi-hybrid planner before? We just got row command on our stuff, man. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. We're, we're doing good. We've got uh, some high dollar planners now. Jason, you need to send him a Snapchat of your uh, Cyclo planner and your... Uh, My dad's patch-in planner. Eighties tractor and... <laughs> <laughs> we can we we can show you show you some 1980s precision technology is this a you said a cyclone planner is that what you said yeah one? yeah hey, yeah cyclone. Those, have, those have a special place in my heart man. <laughs> are you saying like to blow the seed out of the ground <laughs> blows it in and then it pops out of the ground <laughs> that's, a, that's a fine piece of machinery yeah but, but so those those planters so they have two seed meters on every row and it is a hose nightmare like i don't know how you keep it all straight for instance the one that we're talking about that i saw you know you have the it's a ccs planter so it has two bins and you know you you basically have a flow of hoses going to every row from one bin and then a flow of hoses going to all the you know to the every row and it, it is a nightmare and then when we wrote the prescription at that time, uh, you had to have, is pretty much like on off. You had to have two columns for rates. So if you had them both on at 32,000, you just planted at 64,000. Oh boy. So, oh so, boy. so you had to, you had to make sure that you were right. That, uh, you know, um, I'll let you boys have that. <laughs> but it was, it, cool. it was cool. Um, that individual sent pictures and it it changed on the line it wasn't faded it was right yeah. to the, the technology works yeah it does well actually the first year he did it 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 actually double planted for like six inches to a foot so you could see all the transitions but then the next year it was on the line because you could see it as he took pictures different points in the year and the colors were slightly different so but that'd be much more it's much more user friendly and much more common to just change your your seating um, population because then if you have a flex here hybrid you know a hybrid that will flex some i mean you can it can run up you know the, the variable seating uh, matters even more when you have a fixed year hybrid that you're working with for sure for sure well, Kevin, um, have we beat this horse to death, or we've beat the horse to death? And it okay, is well, not guys, we, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was no DNR, so. yeah, or there was a DNR, I guess. Anyway, uh, Rob, Jason, I appreciate your time again, and you know, we'll see you next week. Y'all doing such a great job. Uh, yeah, we're just gonna make this a weekly yeah. thing with you two. Yeah, watch the numbers tank, baby. <laughs> so, um, no, this was good. Um, I think we're we're wrap going to wrap up the grower focus um, visit. Um, we've had two parts to this, so if you haven't listened to the first one, go back listen to the to that, and then come to this one. Um, I guess it really doesn't matter which order. You probably can go either way. But um, with that, Kevin, can you throw out our where people can find us? Yeah, you can find us at mediacropquest.com for any questions, comments, uh, anything like that. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Um, reach out to us. We like to 
do a question and answer or um, like to see what you guys think. So, yeah. So please reach out. Um, if you, there's a potential guest uh, topics, concerns, uh, we'd love to hear from you and adjust the podcast accordingly. So with that, thank y'all again for your viewership and we will see y'all next time. See ya. See ya. Our business is knowing the business of growing. We take pride in your success, being better than the rest. Crop Quest. <laughs>